Your boredom is over because we're just getting started here on Mo Show's Recapped. Here on Mo Show Recaps, talking about the path, the path of the righteous man. This is a new show that is on Hulu. It's not actually called The Path of the Righteous Man. It's just called The Path. Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, Hugh Dancy, lots of great people. We're going to talk about that today. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by two men who have solemnly vowed no beef on this podcast. Antonio Mazzaro and Rob Cesarino. Guys, no beef. Show us the light, Josh. I have Where, no ability to do that. Where's the beef, Josh? Where's the beef? Um, yes. Beef is outlawed. We are not oh, to eat no. any red meat. We are not to beef with one another. Oh, yeah. Beef-free environment. All right. <laughs> How about chicken? Damn. I would do that. <laughs> I feel like chicken's okay. We can go into that. Okay, good. Like vegan chicken, like a tofurkey, perhaps. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. boy. I don't no. like this already, Josh. I'm not on this path. You're not on this path. You got it. You're all in on the beef, Antonio. <laughs> yeah, I'm a beef man through and through. Yeah. You typically, you like, you, you, like, <laughs> you like the cattle. You like to beef with others. Yeah, I'm all I'm all about I, it. I like that this is your big takeaway from the show. Yes. Well, <laughs> that beef has two well, meanings. I, like it, I really didn't like how that family bullied that poor child into eating red meat. He didn't want to do it. And they're like, do it. You want to try this. I'm a really good cook. And he's like, oh, all right, fine. I felt bad for him. Daddy's not here. Eat the beef. Yeah. 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 That's my hot take from the path is like, don't force feed people red meat. Gee, yeah, uh, they don't want it. They don't want it. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that your takeaway. No no. Yeah, I'm surprised your takeaway was that, that it was that family who was the one that was forcing people <laughs> to do things, and that it was yeah, in the wrong. Josh, that's the problem. The somewhat normal family. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, that's the problem. Family on this show. I've got an issue with them. I've got beef with them. I've got beef with the beef family. No beef, Josh. No, no beef. beef. No beef. I know. I'm trying. Beef free environment. To be good. Uh, but we are talking about The Path, this new Hulu show. First of all, how are you guys doing? Rob, how's it going? How's the week been? Oh, very good. Very good. And uh, I am seriously considering a uh, a pamphlet I've gotten about Meyerism. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going that good, Josh. Yeah, that's where you're at right now. <laughs> yes, I think they have a lot of answers. Will they let you podcast if you join the Meyerism movement? <laughs> mm, I suspect no. It's a different topic. <laughs> so that's the one different downside. Topic. Right, yeah. I think I can podcast, but only about Meyerism. Got it. Well, this actually might be great for the people who wanted to get you back on Survivor, Rob. If they don't let you podcast, Survivor would definitely cast you if you were a Meyerist. Like, that's a Ooh. that's like a thing. They would be like, oh, we have never had a Meyerist on the show. Well, why not? That might be the move. Antonio, what's going on? I'm just, uh, my mind is completely awash or a flush or it's filled up. It's co- totally embiggened by this idea of Rob being a Meyerist. I'm really <laughs> getting, I'm really getting into it, Rob. Are you going to go through and go through all the different steps? You're going to put that thing on your head and get that thing in your hands. Yes. And are you, yes. you going to go meet with that little creepy dude from Carnival? <laughs> yes. Oh, this is, is great. Is that guy These from are, Carnival? I don't know. I might have made that I'm up. In. I think he made it up. <laughs> yeah. I know he was on Fringe. Uh, I'm, I know I've seen him in a couple of different shows, yeah. but uh, yeah, this is it. You're all in, Rob. That's This is great. Uh, tell me more about uh, ayahuasca and what you think about it uh, when you get back from your various <laughs> shaman-like experiences. I don't know if I'd be good in a cult, I have to say, but I feel like <laughs> I, you know it's appealing to me in a lot of ways, but then I kind of feel like you know when they're doing weird stuff, like I feel like I would want to complain about the weird stuff, and then you know somebody would tell on me, and I'd have to end up like in the in the hole, let, in the box. Let me lay this out for you, Rob. Here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to basically wear the same thing every day. Fine. So far, so good, right? Yeah, you'd we're have there. to we're basically do the same thing every day. That's fine. Yep. He's there. Couldn't couldn't really leave the the compound, the house much. Ideal. That's good. Ideal. Sounds sounds yeah. like you're in, man. Yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> oh, no man. beef. No beef. No beef. Yeah. Oh, you're out. Okay. If you can handle no beef, you're good. And it seems like also a, a fair amount of uh, the extracurricular activity going on also at the uh the Meyerist camp yeah so there's that so huge benefit that's climb the ladder baby it's just like constantly being at like the podcast awards and the new media expo like you're constantly at a conference so you're used to that but it's just like that all the time (laughs) that's not as appealing (laughs) 
All your friends will be there, Rob. <laughs> Every once in a while, you have to travel for work and trip on drugs. Like that's also yeah. part of the job description. So I don't know. I don't know. We, I could see. It. We could push for this. Yeah, we're moving there. So we're talking about the path today. Uh, there was no mo shows last week. Last week was supposed to be about the catch. We had to cancel that. The catch probably itself is going to get canceled sometime <laughs> soon. I would guess. I can uh, give you. I can wow. give you a. a hot 30 seconds on yeah the i want to i want to get that because i know i didn't get to watch it uh, i had a little family thing that i had to take care of rob did you ever get around to watching the catch i watched the first 10 minutes of it and then you said we probably yeah. weren't going to do yeah, a show I and i like, gladly yeah, turned it off thing, and you're like yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's amazing like oh i mean i'm really sorry to hear that Josh. right uh but i didn't get the text on time to antonio who did have to endure a full hour of the catch so yeah give us the hot take on the catch which would have been a full mo shows recap to be fair, I only watched it twice. I'm just okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was three. No, uh, oh, the, the catch is this. It's the latest Shonda Rhimes show. Uh, so it has a lot of the caper or sort of uh, highly functional, very impressive career type people, uh, you know, succeeding and exceeding at their craft. However, in this particular case, uh, the lead, the lead actress, Michelle Enos, who was, you know, probably best known for her, her role on The Killing. She is at a private uh, investigative agency. They provide corporate security. She gets totally conned uh, by this guy. Uh, and this is really just within the first, I don't know, uh, half an hour of the show. So I'm spoiling it. Mm -hmm. uh, but she gets totally conned by this guy who is ultimately her fiance and has been robbing from their clients for six to nine months. And it's been a put on the whole time. So the show is basically developing into this game of cat and mouse between the two of them. Uh, that uh, that is uh, Peter Krause is playing the uh, the would be husband, best known probably from his work on Sports Night. I like Peter Krause. Nate Fisher. I didn't, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I'd say six feet under. Yeah, yeah, six feet under as well. So he's got, hood. Yeah, he's got a lot of kind of key roles, but uh, I don't know, man. This is not the best use. Of, no bueno, uh, Peter Krause. No bueno. It's just. It's very watered down. There's a lot of kind of uh, questionable decisions being made by characters. A lot of just random like slamming of emotion to emotion. It works like the the, the nighttime Shondaland soap operas work. Scandal, how I, how to get away with murder, Grey's. They work as soap operas because the acting is really phenomenal and because there are a lot of big things going on uh, in the kind of settings. This is like one lady's clients get conned by this other guy who's an international con artist and. It all seems very big, but it just isn't like those shows. And it just doesn't really fit, in my opinion, with that canon at all. That's the impression. I mean, people have been pretty unkind to it critically. Uh, I don't think it was widely viewed. I don't have those numbers in front of me. I would not be surprised if we're not talking about the catch. Well, we're probably never talking about the catch again. But I wouldn't be surprised if people just generally are never talking about the catch again. Very soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, it plays like a, a watered down version of the you know oceans movies or uh of like thomas crown affair or the show it's leverage name, yeah. yeah just not it, it's it's not being watered down of those things is not good rob how was that first 10 minutes for you <laughs> of this show yeah well, this show is going swimmingly. Well, no, I feel the first like. ten minutes of the catch. The, the what's, what's <laughs> oh, the oh yeah, this show is going much better. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot going on. Yeah. There was a lot going oh, on. Oh boy! And then it was like the person they were looking for was actually Peter Krause, but she was married to him, so it was, it was a lot going on. Yeah, and like the commercials tell you all of that already. So yeah, it's yeah. like the the tagline for the show is smoke and mirrors, and there's a whole lot of that going on. So okay. not a great well, tagline for a show. Steamy mirrors. Yeah. Oh boy. Steamy, Steamy is right. Steaming something. Yeah, sure. it sounds like a steaming something. So let's move away from the catch. Let's catch up on the path. And interestingly, we talk about Peter Krause, who is on Sports Night, was on Six Feet Under, was on Parenthood. This show, The Path, is from the duo behind Parenthood, or two of the people behind Parenthood. Jason Cadams, who is also very famous for Friday Night Lights. He is an executive producer on this. And Jessica Goldberg was a writer on The Path. And I was just doing some reading on the genesis of this show today and apparently she had like this awful year that spawned this show like her father passed away then she got divorced from her husband and she was just going through this massive downward spiral and she's like i gotta write something about how everything that i know is wrong and nothing that i believe in anymore is right and i just got to channel that somehow 
And that's where the path was born. You know, this not about this like intense religious experience that she went through or anything, but just sort of this world altering, life bending thing that happened to her that generated this crazy show about the Myrist movement starring all of these really wild characters. Uh, so it, it has dark beginnings. And I think that you can see that throughout the show, which is, uh, Antonio, this is a pretty dark show. Yeah, completely dark. I mean, it's just kind of droning on throughout the first two episodes. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, there just isn't a lot of emotional levity. It it doesn't really hit a bunch of different notes. It's a lot of the same note over and over and over again, which is well played. I mean, it is a good note. And the people that are involved with the playing of that note are hitting it out of the park. But the show tonally uh, has a very consistent kind of one track tone for sure. Um, so let's just talk about it setup wise, what the path is all about. It takes place, uh, in upstate New York. Antonio, first of all, does this make you uncomfortable that it's a little too close to home for you and me? I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> five people know what we're talking about and it matters. Uh, no, I think more than five, unfortunately. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, but it's an up, it's an upstate New York set show about the Myrist movement, which is this new religion that is sort of just starting to come into or it's attempting to come into prominence a little bit. It has this charismatic man at the heart of the movement. His name is Calvin Roberts. He's played by Hugh Dancy from Hannibal. Um, it tells the story about a bunch of other people who are involved in this movement like Eddie Lane, who is played by Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. His wife is Sarah. She's played by Michelle Monaghan from True Detective. So right off the bat, casting-wise, they've they've got three real heavy hitters in terms of, you know, television actors. You know, these are three people that could be headlining their own shows if they wanted to. So just casting-wise, it's off to a good start. They're on the right path. On the right path. Uh, (laughs) On the right path, and then some wild things happen from there. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I think that that's right. I think the core is big. We talked about 112263 here on most shows recapped, and that's another show that had uh, star power at the top with James Franco, and you've got you know some other people popping up from episode to episode. So that had the star power, but I just don't know that it was the right star power, and we, we talked about that at length, whether James Franco was the best or worst time traveler of all time. But I think this show, the base is really strong and it isn't just that they have the three characters it's that the three characters are so closely aligned and oriented it's not as though one of them is held out separately and apart from the other two and maybe is investigating them or looking you know from a distance it's almost a love triangle of sorts and i think that that really matters in terms of the core strength of the show yeah i think so i think that that's great i love that you know they've got this history between these three people um you know eddie who's the aaron paul character he is he's kind of questioning his faith we don't really know exactly what's going on with him when we first meet him but when we first meet him even instantly you can kind of just tell this is a guy who is a little bit lost in the in the forest here uh so he's somebody who's a little shaky and we come to find out that he is the most outsidery of the people that we're going to meet in this religion at least the people who are established um his wife is very 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 devoted to this thing and then you've got a guy like cal who's probably the most outwardly complicated character on the show so far who is really the charismatic leader of the thing who has many different sides to him, but he has a connection to Sarah as well, uh, where they used to be dating. And so there's all sorts of interpersonal drama that's just kind of baked into the show. Yeah, I, it, I mean, it, it's baked right in. Uh, and I think that that is, like I said, that is a really a core key strength of the show, uh, because I think each of these characters knows each other really well. And yet I think each is hiding something or keeping kind of things a little close to the vest, uh, maybe with the exception of Michelle Monaghan's character. I'm not I'm not 100% sure if uh, those waters run any deeper than what we see on the surface or not. I think that would be a criticism that I have of the show through two episodes. But I do think that there's a lot going on behind the scenes with the, the public face, that cow that Hugh Dancy is presenting, uh, and then privately the kind of things that he's getting into or the things that happen when you know other people aren't watching or, or limited people are. And then the same thing obviously goes for Eddie Lane, even though Cal and Sarah know him really well. Uh, they know him just not well enough to the point where he can have a big secret, have it be totally misread, and have it be this thing that he's struggling with throughout the first two episodes for sure. And I yeah. think the, the central conflict of the series. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rob, I'm curious what you knew about the path before you started watching it and how uh, watching it, how experiencing the show aligns with what your expectations were. Like, I'm sure when you were first starting to look in it, you're like, okay, so it's a cult drama. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't even know that. I, I knew pretty much nothing about it except that Aaron Paul was in it. And 
it really did throw me for a loop in the opening sequence where uh, you end up having like this big thing, which turns out to be the tornado, uh, which uh, ripped apart a town. And I I didn't know if this is like some dystopian future or what, but basically it's just like a town is destroyed and you see a woman running around looking for water. And I really had no idea what time and place this was. So I really knew nothing. And then to find out that, you know, it's basically taking place in the present day time. And then, you know, we end up going to the second scene where we end up seeing everybody at uh, Aaron Paul's house where we see, you know, so much, um, you know, imagery for the cult. That's when, you know, I started to uh, really get the sense of what's going on with the cult. But I didn't know if necessarily at first if because the first thing we see after everything going on at the tornado is this house with the cult. I don't know if we're living in a world where everybody is in the cult. And it turns out that it's just, you know, somewhat of this one sort of camp is doing this stuff. Yeah. I'm kind of blurry on, you know, like what the, what the lifestyle is. I think that I think that I thought that it was, you know, some sort of compound situation, but the kid, you know, the kid of the lanes, the the oldest son, he's going to, to a normal high school and everything. Uh, Antonio, is there any sort of compound or are they just kind of living in the world? These people, well, there's a compound and, and they have, it has gates. I mean, you can see the gates in the backgrounds of some of the scenes, not that I watched it twice or anything, but what I would say is that <laughs> even though, so, even though I did, I don't, I screamed it. Uh, I, even though, even though there is kind of a compound in play, I think that there's some important distinctions to be drawn here. And I think that I'm interested in a larger discussion with the two of you about uh, the sort of differences between a cult and a religion, because clearly the people that are in this organization don't see it as a cult. Uh, and a lot of people are seeing benefits from it. Uh, you see outsider stories of benefits from it with a rich woman uh, who Hugh Dancy's kind of involved with helping her son out. Um, you see insider stories of benefits of it. Uh, you see them rescuing people from a hurricane and bringing them in. You see them talking to people at, at parks. Um, and this is something that I think that you see people at airports, the Moonies, or you see people in other places kind of recruiting people. Uh, and it isn't always a cult. I think you cross the line into a cult when harmful things are being done to them in the spirit of the cult. And I really feel that this whole show is really just kind of a thinly veiled, uh, like or like a just not even that uh, intentionally, uh, you know, different view of Scientology. Like that's right. how it seems to me, uh, even though Scientology is mentioned on the show so that we know Scientology exists in this world. It's almost like it's just mentioned so they don't get sued. Like it, that's, that's the level of not mentioned because there are a lot of parallels which I could get into. Um, but safe to say that I think that it's being represented as not just a cult per se, but as a, a way of life. And that way of life doesn't involve you know, moving out into the middle of the desert, getting a bunch of guns uh, and saying that you secede from the world. Uh, it involves a lot of weird stuff, but it isn't totally a cult in that way. And it's not that big either. That's the other thing. I think that there's, you know, there's definite parallels. There's, you know, they're, they, they're literally like reading their feet and levels at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, right. That's happening. There's no L. Ron Hubbard, but you keep hearing about Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, you know, so we, we don't know, we don't know who the almighty Steve is, or I guess we kind of do because we see bits and pieces of Steve maybe in this thing that we, we should probably talk about that at some point as well. Uh, but I think that at least, um, from the writer's perspective, from Goldberg's perspective, she talks about this in a, in a really great Rolling Stone article that's previewing the path. And she talks about how she understands that people are going to look at this and see it as sort of a comparison to Scientology or anything. But she feels, this is what she says, our focus is much wider than one or two movements, though. None of them have a lock on crazy and all of them speak to a need in people. I'm more interested in why we gravitate toward these movements and what happens when they stop fulfilling that need. So I think that she's, you know, at least from her perspective, she's not attacking like one thing. She's not attacking Scientology, but it's really, it's, it is absolutely hard, you know, whether or not that's her intention it's hard to watch the show and not think of something like that as uh, as some of these people are really really tripping down the rabbit hole of myerism it certainly occurred to me as well but i just feel like that scientology is such an enterprise and is so huge that this seems like it's much more small scale of scientology so maybe like in the beginning of what scientology started out as i feel like that that's probably similar to this because i feel like there's probably this is the scientology origin story <laughs> right because i kind of feel like that there's probably Probably, you know, 50 groups like this around the United States that are around this size and scope 
doing stuff like this. Like you'd have to imagine, right? And it doesn't seem like there's, you know, a ton of different outlets for Meyerism. I mean, I think that uh, Cal, he talks about himself as he's responsible for the East Coast. Uh, right. So you you don't know what the full extent of the group is. At least I don't yet. Antonio, do you have a better grip on that? No, I don't have a better grip on that. I will say this, uh, and I'm I'm basing my statement on uh, the great HBO documentary uh, going clear about Scientology. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Scientology actually doesn't have a ton of members. Apparently, um, a lot of that is up for debate. Like even though there's no question, Scientology is much bigger than Myerism for a fact. But like, for example, uh, the 2008 uh, Census Bureau estimated that there were only 25,000 Americans identifying Scientologists. And I know that the number in being clear, if it's double that, it's not higher, much higher than double that. Uh, they're saying. So now's the time members. to get in. <laughs> now's the time to get in. Yeah. Get in on the ground yeah. floor. Yeah. You can ultimately ascend for sure. Climb the ladder. Oh, so high. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but yeah, there, I mean, there are so many parallels. And I think that those questions that she's asking about why are we drawn to these movements? Uh, what, you know, how do we feel when something slightly doesn't resonate? I think those are very interesting questions. And I do think the show is focusing more on those questions rather than being this like uh, just kind of ripoff of Scientology or a parody of it or whatever. But the connections are there. I mean, yeah, the Steve guy isn't really present, but when you've got like a, um, a guy who's in, in charge of sort of developing the, uh, I don't know, the scripture of the religion, and he claims he's off uh, learning the next level. Uh, the next step is when his violent, charismatic underling announces that he's ascended to the next level. And by that, he means he's died. Uh, and right. that, you know, he's ready to do the next thing. That David Miscavige did that at an annual Scientology meeting and just announced L. Ron Hubbard, by the way, dead, uh, even though it had for a long time been represented that he was creating new things and doing all these other things. He was off in South America somewhere because the government was after him. Uh, he just announced he was dead one day. That was it. And people were like, I mean, you can hear the shock in the room when he announces it. And I wouldn't be surprised were you uh, if our man. He, I No, it's on. The video is on going clear. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can you can see it. It's terrifying. Sure. Uh, yeah. David Miscavige is terrifying. I was not there, Josh. <laughs> I only I only watched the Scientology DVDs one time. All right. Oh, uh, only only <laughs> once. So yeah, vivid. So, yeah, only <laughs> once. Only once. But no, I'm just what I'm getting at. Generally speaking, is I don't think this show is meant to be a send up of Scientology. However, there are just a ton of parallels that are impossible to. Yeah, I think so. But I think that that also might just be a side effect of this thing that she's exploring, where like this kind of thing can be real dangerous uh and you can mm-hmm. see you know and i think that it's very historical of you know people who uh grab onto people's faith and you know use it take that you know take advantage of that and really manipulate people who are broken and wounded and looking for an, you know any kind of easy explanation and some charismatic lunatic is able to just exploit that uh and i think that that's you know unfortunately i think that's a thing that you could see for centuries and thousands of years and things like that and i think that that's definitely what they're playing with here on the show um i'm you know going to like the supernatural thing that you were kind of mentioning rob when you were first watching that scene i wasn't sure what to think about that either because i mean north new hampshire isn't really typically a place that gets a ton of tornado action so i was wondering Mm -hmm. if there was like some sort of fire and brimstone and biblical something or other going on on this show. And I know that we talk here on Poster Recaps when the show is on about another show that kind of deals with sort of these high concept things and issues of grief and belief and things like that. The Leftovers, which definitely has some element of supernatural occurrences going on on the show. Antonio, do you think that there's any level of that whatsoever here on the path? Or do you think that this stuff is pretty straightforward, grounded, real world shenanigans? I think it's straightforward. However, uh, I think that a lot of what's being presented, uh, both visually and stylistically, uh, and kind of what's happening with the characters, there's a lot of drugs involved, a lot of like a DMT, uh, ayahuasca type things. Like there's a lot of that going on. And so I'm not sure when we see what a character might have seen or <coughs> when we view something through a certain character's eyes, uh, if what we're seeing is that. I mean, I, look, opiates aren't a hallucinogen, but uh, the the first scene is seen a lot through the eyes of uh, Mary, uh, the kind of opiate addict who is there, who's rescued by the cult. Uh, and she 
who knows what her mental state is? I mean, I don't know. So I don't think it's being suggested that this stuff is supernatural, but there's a lot of weird stuff. There's a lot of imagery of dead relatives and snakes in beds uh, and paint on walls and a fire and all these things that are happening in the show. But I think it's probably explained, you know, rationally within the context of why certain characters are seeing certain things. That first scene was jarring for sure, but I think it was just intentionally jarring on purpose to take the viewers out of kind of our normal realm and take us into a realm that felt completely weird uh, and foreign to us so that we weren't sure what was happening. It was almost like we were being taken by this cult. Like we, we, we don't see what's happening at the Myrist compound. The first time we see the Myrists are in this scene. Uh, so we're as viewers, almost the outsiders as well. And so a lot of these things just are going to seem strange to us. Yeah. Josh, can I add on to what you're saying with The Leftovers? Because I do feel like in a lot of ways that this show is a cousin of The Leftovers, but we're seeing it sort of from the perspective of the guilty remnant and seeing what it's like to sort of be a part of the cult. And to me, I felt like really the path is a lot like The Leftovers if there was no sudden departure. So basically, like you have all these people who still feel this way in our own world, and then the sudden departure is really what accelerates how so many people are feeling. And then, you know, the Meyerists really could use a sudden departure. Sure. I mean, their numbers would go sky high yeah. if something like grave would happen like that. Yeah, and I think that you get the sense, and Antonio, I'm curious for your take on this too, you get the sense that Cal is like, looking for something like that like he wants to bolster the numbers of the Myrist movement he wants more people in on Myrism. he tells this super rich guy at one point in the second episode i don't want your million dollars i want your faith uh and he tells this guy i want you to tell all your friends about this george michael yeah it's like it's like george michael uh he wants his faith and he wants his you know he wants his obedience and he wants his loyalty and i think that that is his goal right now is to get out there on television start spreading the word start spreading spreading the news, uh, get more and more people hooked in on this thing. And I'm wondering, you know, we see that this guy acts violently, at least privately, at certain points throughout these first two episodes that are currently on Hulu. Um, Antonio, do you think that he is going to, or even just the movement in general, do you see them moving toward any sort of major violent or destructive or chaotic movement in order to get more people to focus on what they're doing? It just feels like there's something sinister and nefarious in the works. Well, that's the thing is that it feels like that because that's the tone of the show. I would argue that as far as people joining Meyerism or the impacts of Meyerism, we haven't seen it. We've heard about it secondhand through the woman who is uh, seemingly being followed, just like the Scientologists do, uh, by people who want to know why she left the church or whatever. Um, They're sitting outside of her relatives' homes, just like the Scientologists do, and that sort of thing is happening. Uh, But we we don't know uh, of the harm that the religion's doing. I would say that Cal and what Cal is doing specifically with the younger woman uh, is probably the most harmful thing that we see on the show. Uh, and I think that that's problematic because we see what what Cal is like really behind closed doors. I think he is the hero of his own story, like most of us are, right? Uh, I think somebody famous once said that. Uh, somebody yeah. well known has been known to uh, beat that drum a little bit. Sure. Uh, but what I would somewhat say well is, known. yeah, just somewhere kind of well known. Yeah, maybe like a, you know G list. Uh, but what I Well-ish. would say, <laughs> what I would say is <laughs> that uh, poor Stephen. What I would say is that uh, is that he's the hero of his own story. So I think he thinks he's doing good, and I think he wants to do more good. We see a lot of private scenes with him. Like he's talking to Michelle Monaghan's dad in a van and Michelle Monaghan's dad smoking pot. And Hugh is saying, you know, like, oh, think about how we can help all of these people. There's so much out there. I want to help more people. I want them to see the light. I think he's trying to do good, but I think he's kind of a dark person behind closed doors. And I think that some people would argue that's the David Miscavige Scientology role. This guy who puts this very charismatic kind of uh, person development forward face on, but in private is beating people and is doing horrible things to people. And so I really think that this character of Cal is, is meant to be that the hero of his own story who has some issues that play out behind closed doors, but is maybe trying to do good for people in general in public. And I think that that's the really difficult line. Josh, you said, you know, unfortunately, charismatic lunatics pop up and prey on the weak and, you know, manipulated. But I mean, one man's cult is another man's religion. And right. I would say that, you know, that a, you cannot tell me there aren't too many religions that weren't founded based around charismatic people who a lot of people in society would call lunatics, uh, saying that they have the right path for people. And I think the only issue is 
it, does that path cause other people harm? And if it doesn't, let everybody do what they want to do. If people want to live you know, in an Amish world and they want to make furniture and they don't want to have any electricity during the night or whatever, let it happen. If they want to send their kids out on Rumspringer or whatever, they're not hurting anyone. And but I think if the leaders of those communities are also like questionably sexually abusing some of their yes. members and then kicking the crap out of other human beings, maybe we've got a little bit of an issue. Yeah, and the leaders of every community are doing that. Like the, the CEOs, uh, bank people, uh, politicians, uh, everyone is behaving that way. And I understand that he's, you know, going to be held. I'm not. I'm not defending culture. It sounds like I'm defending cults. A little I'm bit. Not defend, I'm not defending cults. I'm only saying after two Bizarroism episodes. Of, is is on the yeah. rise. Well, I'm not charismatic enough. I am enough of a lunatic. Uh, what I would say is that I would that, follow it. I would sign up. Thank you. There's there's pizza, Josh. Yeah, I know there well, is. I'm in. <laughs> See how easy that is? Punch a pie. Yeah. Uh, no, ultimately, I would just say that I'm not sure that the show, we come in with preconceived notions about the negativity of these organizations. The kids at the high school are calling, you know, the poor kid Jim Jones. Like, we have these horrible associations with these things. But, I mean, every every nascent religion started somewhere and was persecuted. And I guess I'm tracking what is Meyerism doing for the people that are Meyerists? Is it making their life more miserable? Are they happier? Uh, are, are one or two people using it to their grand benefit financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever? I just haven't seen that through two episodes of the show, even though Cal has serious problems. And even though I would say Michelle Monaghan is really wrapped up in this cult, um, it's making her personal relationships difficult. I don't think necessarily that Meyerism is bad for the people who are Meyerists. I would disagree a little bit that I feel like that the Cal character, I think, is somebody who is probably the villain of the series. And I think that he's somebody who I, I didn't think it was that muddy whether or not he's doing good for people. I felt like especially the scene where he's driving in the car and he's listening to the audio book about how to manipulate people. I felt that like you were seeing him unmasked to some degree about how I do think that he has uh, nefarious aspirations of and uh, and to some degree I don't even know if he believes in all this Myers stuff. Like he just might be the person who's beating the drum on it. Yeah, it's weird. It's a good debate uh, because the second episode ends with him kind of at the bedside of the guy who's only been seen in a dream before that uh, with the snake and telling him like you would have been proud of my radio interview. I really think we're going to reach a lot of people and so. The problem with the lunatic part of these charismatic lunatics is he may well believe he's doing good uh, and he may be learning how to manipulate because he thinks that the ends justify the means. Uh, and so if the end job is that more people are going to see the light and be happy, then it doesn't matter if he's manipulating, uh, swooping in in front of FEMA in disasters, preying on weak people, whatever. He is so caught up in this. I mean, I think that there's a debate. Is he caught up in it or is he and not? And he would probably view himself as he's going up on the cross or something like that. And he's willing to take that hit for the furthering of the movie. Yeah. And I think that that's the real issue is I, I agree, Rob, that I think his viewers were probably seeing him as the villain of the story. I'm just not sure. I mean, I think he's a lunatic. I'm just not sure how, like, is he a Heisenberg? Is he somebody that's manipulating every single action for his own personal benefit? Or is he so caught up in thinking that this stuff will do good, will do good that he's manipulating and, and doing things like that? And I think that that's still up for debate. I do think that that's, that's questionable. I don't know where we're going with that. What I feel like is I feel like with the leader uh, seemingly incapacitated, he's a, a younger guy who's taking a very different stance with this group. He's seemingly breaking and violating the rules of the group by publicizing it more, by bringing more attention to it. Uh, and he's doing that to get more members for certain, but it's kind of against what the original Meyer guy wanted to do. So that's a, that's a highly questionable action by Hugh Dancy. Is he doing that so he can build up money, political power? Probably, but at least so far, I don't see that on the show. Um, let's talk about the actors and let's just stay on Hugh Dancy for a bit because he's definitely, you know, he's the guy I think that's given the most to do. Aaron Paul has a lot to do also. So we'll talk about him, but just overall, Antonio, do you think that Hugh Dancy's doing a good job? Is he convincing you in this role? I know that you were, you were a Hannibal guy as well, right? Yeah. And I love Hugh Dancy. Like, I think he's really good at playing. I mean, he was great on Hannibal as, as, as playing, you know, this character, Will Graham, who was so conflicted and who had mental issues and who could feel and understand why killers killed. And that made him so troubled uh, as an FBI profiler that he was having a hard time living in either world fully. He was splitting the world so much uh, and that he played that that kind of 
ripped apart so perfectly that I think that it's interesting to see him in a role like this, where, as we're talking about, does he even have uh, an end game in mind? Is it the most nefarious end game, or is it somewhere in the middle with the ends justifying the means? I think he's playing those shades really well. Like even the first scene we kind of see with him where he's talking to Michelle Monaghan and he's like, oh, you know, you broke my heart. Never going to forgive you for it. He sang it in a, in a very direct and kind of brusque thing in it's a so, way. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. It's so strange. It's so yes. strange because it's like, oh, well, don't forget you did break my heart once. Uh, it's like this, these aren't the things that normal people say to each other, but they're very forward in myerism. Well, and, and just Hugh Dancy is so he's so conflicted and all over the map uh, with what's on his face. And he's got this quality. He's one of those guys that you just know when they say that it's the quiet ones you got to watch. Like they're talking about Hugh Dancy. Like (laughs) this guy walks into a room. He looks meek. He looks quiet. He looks normal. But everything I've seen out of this guy as an actor is bonkers all over the place. And I think that's great. Yeah. Rob, what do you think of this guy? I mean, I think that he's uh, very good in the role and I do like him as sort of like the other the other side of, you know, the really conflicted Aaron Paul and the guy who's sort of like the calm leader who looks like. He has it all together. I really think that he's the most interesting character on the show through the two episodes that we've seen. Yeah. He also just like seems like he's like kind of like uh, he's just like he's sort of like jacked. Like he just has like this physical presence about him, too, you know, where he's not just like, you know, he's not just talking to the people and giving them like a good speech, like his whole thing about Plato's cave and everything that everyone's really eating up. You see him kick the crap out of that one guy in that one scene, and he really just does look like he's capable of of a lot of physical violence and the way that Hugh Dancy carries himself. I feel like he, uh, he looks like he's just ready to do that at any given time. Did you see how many pull-ups he did? A lot, a lot of pull-ups. Yeah. yeah. I lost count. It's I know impressive. you're always on pull-up patrol, Rob. I yeah. know pull-ups are something that you flag for sure. He does. You're close to home. Yeah. <laughs> he's always on pull-up patrol. Uh, I don't know if it's I've, worth like losing Hannibal for this guy, for Hugh Dancy to be on the path and playing a really interesting character. But if we have to live in the world where Hannibal is no longer allowed to exist, then I feel like this is a good role for Hugh Dancy. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, he's only like, he's, he's, he, he's like a normal guy. Like he is, he's, he's, you know, he's toned, but he's 5'10 and it's not like he weighs 270. Like, right. he, and, and like he's not like a WWE wrestler. I think where a lot of his menacing kind of physical presence comes from is both his physicality as an actor and just that, that, that kind of quiet rage that he encapsulates that we saw come out with Will Graham, uh, where underneath the surface of this quiet guy, there was so much. Uh, and with, with, with Cal, it's like, I mean, if, it's just, yeah, it's like Cal is like if Will Graham, like, had finally gone full Hannibal. Yeah, just gone full, like, yeah, just evolved, just turned into a butterfly uh, instead of a moth or whatever. Like, this is what he's going to be. There's some deer and some crap. I don't know. Yeah, 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 dogs everywhere, (laughs) stacks of bodies, you know, Hannibal is Hannibal. Hannibal. Strong recommendation for Hannibal now that Hannibal is over. Everybody should go back and watch it if you didn't do it. You're part of the problem if you didn't watch it. Um, I know you guys, you guys talk about Better Call Saul. You guys podcast about the final season of Breaking Bad. All three of us are big fans of Breaking Bad. Jesse Pinkman himself, Aaron Paul, is sort of the male lead on this show as Eddie, very conflicted, doesn't know if he believes in the movement anymore. He saw a weird vision while he was away on a mission, and he's you know talking to somebody and trying to figure out what's going on, if this thing is really what he believes it to be, or if everything is a lie. So this is what he is exploring um, played by this really great actor, Aaron Paul. Do you do you like what Aaron Paul is doing on the show, Rob? Are you a fan of how he's playing this character? Is it a little too Jesse Pinkman for you? Well, it does conjure up some images of Jesse in terms of just like how morally conflicted he is about being involved. Like it seems like maybe that's the role that Aaron Paul is being typecast in in that he's reluctantly involved with something he doesn't know if he wants to do anymore. And he really has that sort of angst. Uh, but this time, instead of uh, Walter White to bounce it off of, you know, he's really going back and forth uh, with his wife who thinks he's having an affair, but he's trying to really get to the bottom of the truth about this thing that he's been involved in. It seems as though he's really trying to figure out what is going on behind the scenes with uh, the Meyerism. But Aaron Paul, I mean, he's always good. I think the thing is that, like, he kind of just has... I don't know if he has like a ton of different speeds, but this speed he does. Hey, I saw Speed Racer. He's got a lot of speed. He's not in Speed Racer. <laughs> what is he in? That's Need Emil Hirsch. Need, need for Speed. Need for Speed. Need for Speed. Need for did Speed you see, Racer. Did you see Speed Racer, Rob? 
I didn't see either of them. <laughs> <laughs> He's a liar. Kick him out of Mazaroism. He's out. Got it. No, no we welcome. We welcome people. With, no, with you have to seen... watch everything at least twice. Everything <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> but I'm not wrong. He drove a race car. In he a movie, did right? drive a race yes, car yes, a million a times over. Yeah, yes. and nobody saw it. Right? No, like <laughs> that is also correct, including okay. you. No one saw it. That is right, including yeah. me. Yeah. Nobody saw Antonio it. Antonio saw it six times. No, that's my point. We welcome <laughs> anyone who, has, who hasn't seen Need for Speed. They're all uh, welcome. Yeah. But I mean, this is, you know, he has a gear. He has a certain gear and yes. he does it very yeah. well. Yeah. Which yeah, is also a car thing. Yeah, there's no question why he was cast on the show. Like, zero question. Yeah, he's great for a top-line name for a, sh- for a Hulu show, unquestionably. But, I mean, this role, this is Aaron Paul. To it. It's almost like it's written for him because this is, as Rob points out perfectly, this is what, you know, we know about Aaron Paul who, when he can hit home runs, when he can be Emmy Award winner Aaron Paul. I do think it's interesting because he played on Six Feet Under, which is a show that I think is also a little bit of a cousin to this show. Not to, uh, not to suggest that the LDS Church movement movement itself uh is a oh cult, you mean that, uh big love not, not six feet under big yeah, love yeah. Yeah. yeah big love not to suggest that the lds you know movement itself is a is a cult but in big love there it was a branch of that people who were living outside the rules of the church uh people who were considered to be uh sort of heretics and were doing things their own way uh and that sort of thing was happening so it is not uh you know that that show to me big love is not about mormonism it's about wacky people who happen to identify with one branch of that uh, and the way they're living and whether or not that it works for them or not. Then I see a lot of similarities with, uh, with Big Love and with, with this show, with The Path. Uh, and Aaron Paul was on Big Love as well, playing yeah. this sort of, you might think, like uh, this character uh, 10 or 15 years younger. Uh, and right, it's because he's not, real, he's not really rolled up in it when, we, when we're meeting him on the show, I don't think. Right, right. And so it's fascinating. I mean, it's really kind of curious to see this with Aaron Paul. But I think there are some other things in play. Michael J. Unsuccess Story on Twitter had tweeted at us and said, it's tough to play a new TV character when you're so identifiable as an old one. Who's doing better, Dancy or Paul? Uh, and Mike Bloom kind of added to that and said, how many times has Aaron Paul dropped his famous B-word catchphrase in the two <laughs> right. episodes of the past so far? This is I what we know of Aaron count. Paul. I think it's about zero so far. Yeah, I think it's at least zero. Uh, so I guess the question is, for either of you guys, is anybody resonating too much like their previous character? Is anybody, you know, are we saying like, oh, this is just Jesse Pinkman. I can't look at him any other way. Or are we okay with Aaron Paul, how he is and who's doing a better job in general? Rob, I defer to you. Well, you know, it's tough for me to answer that question because I was not a Hannibal viewer, but I think that Jesse Pinkman is probably the more iconic TV character. Yeah, I think that's so I think it's I think it's harder to, you know, not look at Aaron Paul and say, okay, oh, this is Aaron Paul breaking bad, uh, Jesse Pinkman. But I feel like that he's doing a fine job. I mean, I wasn't like really taken out of it by the fact that like, wait, why isn't he uh, in Albuquerque right now? This is so weird. So I was buying the role that he was in. I, I agree. I think that, you know, at a certain point, you just have to be good with the fact that some iconic actors like just do a thing. Uh, and they're pretty much going to be, you know, a lot of their ticks are going to be very similar because that's just their wheelhouse. Um, I'm a big fan. We talked about it in an earlier Mo Shows recapped earlier this year. We talked about Colony for a hot minute. Josh Holloway, who's Sawyer on Lost, is also the main character on this uh, new show. It's a USA sci-fi show. And there's a lot of Sawyerisms there, which is not a movement, although maybe it is. Uh, but he had, you know, he's, and it should be. I bet it is. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to wear shirts. Everybody lies. Uh, nicknames. Nicknames. Tons of nicknames. All frogs must be killed. Uh, so, Ugh. you know, there's, he definitely has, you know, he has Sawyer ticks on that show where there's just a lot that you can see where it's just kind of that's Josh Holloway's thing. And it doesn't take me out of it at all. You know, it, maybe it did for a second. It took a, a brief adjustment period, but he's a different enough in terms of how he's written that you can really just get past that. For me, that's the writing on this show on the path is really strong so far, especially for the Eddie character. And I'm not thinking Jesse Pinkman when I see him. I think Aaron Paul is recognizable enough and famous enough on his own as an actor that I'm seeing a lot of Aaron Paulisms but I don't see a ton of Jesse Pinkmanisms. So I think that, you know, it's just, it's just who he is. I've got no problem with it. Man's got to work and he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's got to have a job somewhere. So well, this, <laughs> at least I think so, know, right? It's funny. As I was watching this though, I was thinking like, could 
Aaron Paul show up on Better Call Saul? Because basically he'd be playing the same role as the kid he has on this show. Right. And I don't know if he could pull it off. No. We talk a lot about the flashbacks you know, on Better Call Saul and whether the actors are pulling it off. And uh, I don't know, he might fit right in with that crew. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Jonathan Banks doesn't look like he's doing that much better than Steve Meyer. <laughs> no that's true he needs to part ways with the sun we've established this for sure yeah they need to just like wrap a boa constrictor around jonathan banks and then he's just like a one for one with steve meyer meyer <laughs> i see yeah it, it's tough i mean uh, it is tough aaron paul's got a lot to shed it's funny because you know i'm watching this show on hulu since it's a hulu original and every commercial break aaron paul is on a hulu commercial talking this about this takes and, me and out it, of it so much i hate this yeah, right. he's in a support It's not group. a Hulu commercial, though. It's a, I believe it's a Verizon commercial. It's like a cell phone it's a commercial. It's a BIOS commercial. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you can BIOS. binge as much as you want in this support group. Talk, let's talk about binging. And it's like he shows up in a support group, like helping people with self-help immediately in a commercial after the show goes to commercial. Yeah, so he's very uh, immediately after like a scene where he is helping people on right. the show, yep. not with binging, but with like religious issues. And it's so jarring. Like I didn't know that it was a commercial at first and i was very oh, very confused Josh, i'm so was, sad for you it was horrible you thought it was part of the plot it was <laughs> traumatic yeah damn it i wish i could give you a hug josh you sounds like you need one it was scary i needed yeah. help i was lost i needed well, to see the light mm. if you could uh, only find someone who could hug that pain away then you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. oh stop get your holy wayne out of my the path podcast yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry uh, although yeah, uh, that probably those commercials really do blur the lines because I do feel like in the commercials, like I do feel like he's trading in on the Jesse Pinkman of it in terms of like binge watching a Breaking Bad, right. and that's why Aaron Paul is chosen to be the leader of the binge watching group Anonymous. Uh, and then here he is on another show, which you could potentially binge watch, but he's in the commercials for this other show, so that might be muddying the waters a bit. Well, yeah. you can binge watch it eventually, but like. Eleven twenty two sixty three. Rob, this you is a weekly this. Hulu show. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's fine with me. I, uh-huh. I, I, I told you, Josh, uh, Hulu is aiming to replace your DVR. Netflix is aiming to replace your DVD collection. Yes. Hulu wants to replace your DVR. They have currently airing shows. They're doing their shows once a week like those other currently airing shows. I understand it's all in the canon. They could put them out. But you know what? There's a lot of episodes of Better Call Saul in the can I could be watching right now, too, that aren't going to air until they're airing in the network. So, I mean, either all networks are going to do it or none of them are and i just feel like hulu thinks of itself as a tv network replacing your dvr not so much as a uh tv network replacing your dvd collection it's it's a good it's a good point i like the point i'm not that mad about it but i was once i was very mad about it once Um, well antonio doesn't need a lot of new shows to come out he can just keep watching the ones he already has (laughs) it's so true it is so you have no idea how true it is i've watched guess what the people versus oj simpson first episode i legit have watched it at least 10 times that's insane that's actually crazy What are you getting out of it? I just uh, hey, I know what's happened. I know what happens next. I really like it. He's trying to figure out the ending. He's trying to. He's trying looking to, for clues. You know, Rob, I'm looking for clues. Right. This is all going to end. I'm looking and for Tony clues. Has some theories on yeah. the OJ finale. Yes, I'm looking for clues, Rob. Yeah. All right. Oh, I got a raging clue. All right. Let's talk about. Uh, I mean, we need to start wrapping up pretty soon. And I think that it's telling that we haven't talked a ton about Michelle Monaghan's character. Michelle Monaghan. Uh, I think is an amazing actor. I think that she is a really talented person who kind of gets stuck in sort of undeveloped roles. You know, she's in the first season of True Detective. She's basically the only female character on the first season of True Detective other than uh, the woman that uh, that Marty Hart is cheating on her with. You know, there's really not a lot of that. And I guess a little bit of Anne Dowd action at the very end. Um, but I feel like she just tends to play characters that aren't super well developed. And I think that Sarah, Sarah Lane is the character that she's playing is really devoted to Myerism. She's really in on it. She wants Eddie to fix his problems. And if he goes into a hot box for 14 days and she's going to be fine with everything that he's done. I don't know. I, I, lo- I love her performance. I think that she, she just, you know, she has really great subtle work that she does in just about any character she plays. And I'm even including her character in Pixels. She was in Pixels. She was stuck in Pixels. Oh, wow. And she was by far and away the best part of that movie. And that's not hard to do. Uh, but just in terms of her character, Antonio, are you seeing anything about Sarah Lane? Am I being harsh on that character? Or do you think that she's a little bit too stagnant? I think that character is the biggest problem I have with the show, other than the lack of variety in tone. I think 
with her character, she's fully bought in. And that's great. She's playing it really well. I think she's playing it super intense. And uh, I just I think that it's it's tough because her character, by virtue of being fully bought in, is being given a lot of one dimensional, non ethical, non moral dilemma. She 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 sees things a certain way. I think the best scene that we've got is the one where she tells uh, Eddie why she was attracted to him because you weren't like everyone else because you had been uh, experiencing different things, uh, and that she finds some of that attractive. I. To me, that's the most appealing part of the character, that she may have more dimensions beyond uh, what you know we're just seeing, which is a one-track mind, somebody who thinks the, the cure for her, the relationship issues that she's totally drummed up, by the way, uh, and that Eddie is not hiding from, that he's kind of not admitting mm-hmm. to or like you know saying that this is definitely not what it is. It's this other thing. Um, he, he's not making clear what it is, so he's, he's, he's fueling it. Uh, her reaction to that is very just so one track and one dimensional and not very layered. It's a screwed up dimension, but I, I think there's a lot of promise in if Eddie really truly does get further down the line, does she start to have to pick between uh, her, him and the religion or her family uh, and the way of the religion or or any of it, the cult? Um, is she going to have to make those choices? Where are her ethical and moral dilemmas really going to present themselves? And I think even through two episodes, the characters one tracked, but I think that that can develop over time. Rob, what's your take? See, I kind of like that about her because I felt like that that was an, such an interesting way to go in terms of like him cheating on her, committing adultery is almost a sin that she can live with. I mean, she's not happy about it, but that's all right. Okay, fine. Just go in the box for 14 days and then, you know, then fine. We'll get past this. But the fact that he actually wasn't cheating on her and was like trying to get to the bottom of what's really going on in Meyerism, like that's the, to her, that would be the unforgivable sin that he was doing that. So I thought that's an interesting part of that relationship with those two characters. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I think that, you know, and it's only been two episodes so far, and I don't know how long the first season is intended to run. I think it's probably going to be, um, just looking at it on, on Wiki, it says a straight 10 episode order. So we've got eight episodes more to go, and there's definitely potential for her, but I think just as a starting point, I wish that she was given a little bit more to do. But there is something interesting about that point, Rob, that I hadn't really thought about. That's like, I would rather that you were cheating on me than you were cheating on the religion. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. that that speaks to volumes about uh, the power of this. Not a cult; it's a movement. Uh, speaks to the volume. Speaks volumes about the power of my yeah, 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 for sure. And I think they that- should put that in the brochure. <laughs> <laughs> so good that you won't care if your spouse cheats on you. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I don't think I want to be a member of that club. Just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just because it goes both ways, you know, really does goes both ways in that in that instance. I think that you gotta what's mm-hmm. good for the goose is good for the gander. I believe is what <laughs> my uh, my mother would say. So there you go, <laughs> or the snake, as it were. Uh-huh. Uh, can right. we talk about real quickly? Laura Maria Olson had asked, "What is up with the guy in the bed with the snake, and how does that or could that disprove the whole thing or cause doubts?" Um, is that the leader they've briefly mentioned is it because he's sick or something? And that was my take that it was meant to be the leader of this religion. And part of what's Steve, given to Aaron, it's Steve, yeah, it's Steve, it's doc or Steve or whatever you want to call him. Steve Meyer. It's Mr. Meyer. Um, and this is Aaron Paul seeing this, having this vision, whether it, how, how much of it was ayahuasca, how much of it was somebody showing him that I'm finding it on his own. I don't know, but he was at this place in Peru uh, and spotted uh, the leader kind of totally out of it and really just kind of comatose. And he's supposed to be down there translating the final couple rungs of the ladder. He's clearly not uh, of full mental capacity at this point. And Aaron Paul's really struggling with that because it's like, well, if I'm being told that this guy is this great spiritual leader who's enlightened and has all these things going on and he's in the middle of this and really he's being kept alive by machines, then I'm being lied to. How much am I being lied to? I'm going to Google this. I'm a little interested. And that's where his sort of thing came from. I think the interesting part about that is Cal knows. Cal is meeting him in the daytime. You see a window behind Cal. The room looks totally different, but it's the same room. And Cal is meeting with him and talking, with, with means, which means Cal knows that the leader of their religion is totally out of it. Uh, and Cal is not yeah. presenting that to everybody. And I think that that's, that's very interesting uh, to see that kind of play out. 
No, I think that that's, you know, that's obviously the big drama of the show right now in terms of like the larger scale plot. And that's sort of the ticking time bomb that, you know, it's the cliffhanger of both of those episodes, basically. You know, it's Eddie seeing the vision of the guy and then us confirming that that wasn't just a vision. That guy is absolutely in this catatonic state and he's supposed to be the great leader of the thing. And like everyone's like, oh, we're going to climb the ladder and go see Uncle Steve and everything's going to be great. Well, Uncle Steve isn't taking many visitors right now. Um, (laughs) So it's you know it's definitely definitely intriguing and i don't know where that's gonna go but i liked that i thought that that was great i like that there's a lot of secrets on the show you know everybody's really keeping secrets from each other that's always good for drama makes things very anxious and you know paranoid and tense and that's definitely the vibe that you're getting at the end of the thing and i think that at the end of the first episode you were confused about whether or not it's a hallucination or something my read on it is he absolutely runs into this room and sees that uh, that Steve Meyer is in this state. The snake is probably not there. I would hope uh, that they're not just like strapping a boa constrictor onto this poor this poor man in his bed. Uncle while Steve. He's, <laughs> poor Uncle Steve, <laughs> while he's trying to trying to recuperate. Um, but I, I feel like that was hallucinatory, and I think that you know you could you could talk about. And Rob and I we talked about a lot of Garden of Eden stuff on our Walking Dead feedback show this week. But I think you could get into that of like the snake in the garden, the yada yada yada. Uh, so there's there's things going on there for sure. Hey. The Book of Genesis from Josh Wiggins. <laughs> yeah, you yes. just kind of yada yada through it. Josh, it's Adam and Eve. Yeah. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Uncle Steve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Not in my book. Not in my version. <laughs> I like your book better, I think. Yeah, I love Uncle yeah. Steve. Yeah, Uncle Steve is I great. have an actual Uncle Steve. He's great. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think that, that you're right. I, my question, I guess what I'm curious about wrapping up here, I'm going to watch. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch week to week, and I think that's the problem when you're Hulu. If you're putting this out week to week, if you want to replace my DVR, I let things pile up on my DVR. So if you're wanting me to watch it week to week, it's probably not going to happen, even if it's a show I really, really like. Yeah. Um, I'm occasionally letting those pile up, but I'm going to keep watching this for sure. Um, the, the, the secrets and the narrative and really the character kind of levels of those secrets are what's driving me. I think others would argue there maybe isn't a great narrative hook to this show that's going to drive the story for the first few episodes, uh, that it's sort of meandering and ambling with these characters. Rob, are you, are you caught up by this show? Are you going to watch more of it or is this going to be one that you probably let fall by the wayside? You know, I actually did like this show and I felt like that it's a show that no, Knows what it is where we talked about when on our last episode we were talking about Happen Leonard. I felt like that that was a show where sometimes it was a completely different show, and I felt like that that show sort of struggled with tone. I feel like that this show knows uh, what it's doing. I probably would not have the time to sit and watch the entire season of the show, but. I was entertained by the stuff that I was watching, and I was definitely interested to see where it was going next. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to keep going, mostly because Emily, my wife, she really liked it. She loved this show. Uh, So the intersection of the two of us finding the same show to watch that isn't just Full House reruns is not always big. So we're going to keep watching. We're definitely going to keep watching. And I'm excited about it. I was hooked by it. I thought that it was I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, like we were saying, how happened Leonard Antonio kind of like scratches a little bit of a justified itch. This is scratching a tiny bit of a leftovers itch. Hard, Hard to hit that leftovers it's too much uh but there's definitely a little tiny bit of that plus it's starring you know three actors that i really admire and respect and i'm very curious to see if they can make the michelle monaghan character better because i love that actor um and i'm i'm curious to you know i'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with eddie and his crisis of faith so yeah Emily Fox about, and I will continue watching the path. How about uh, Eli Roosevelt from the San Joaquin Sheriff's Department popping up on this show? Am I yeah, right about how that? About that, you are right about that. Those are correct things that you said. Oh uh, man, I sportsed. Yeah, you sportsed. You sons of anarchy. <laughs> I, I Sam crowed. Yeah, you Sam crowed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rockman Dunbar. You could have prison broke if you wanted to call him C note. That would have worked as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the sort of kind of. Uh, the very on the outskirts, because that's an outskirts story in the first season of The Leftovers as well. The people that are investigating the cults or the people that are kind of paying attention from a federal level to the guilty remnant. There is an investigator keeping his eyes on Meyerism. He's the only one watching the interview and th- 
thinking it's a big deal. He's the one raising the red flag. He seems to know that this cow uh, maybe is up to no good. Uh, and so that's the kind of uh, interesting wild card in this series is they could turn into a show that's very much about cops and criminals, if you want to call the, the Myers criminals at that point. I'm not sure that it will, but that's sort of the, the thread that is, is it a loose thread or is it going to be tied in and woven into the show more directly? I think that's the one that's hanging out there that I think is a wild card right now. Right. And Rockman Dunbar is a great actor. So uh, him being at the helm of that kind of side story, that could lead to some really great places. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So let's wrap up here. Uh, either of you guys got solid hashtag suggestions? Uh, I got wrote down a uh, pull up patrol. I had that as well. I had pull up patrol. I liked Mazaroism. I thought that that was good. I think we could all join Mazaroism. That's with uh, Why not? two. That's with one Z and two R's, just so we don't. No, get so twisted. no, it's no. two Z's. It's for, brand, it's for branding purposes, Josh. Understand? <laughs> <laughs> two one Z, two R's. And Mazaroism. Yeah. All right, there you go. So that's going to be very confusing when you tweet that hashtag to at AC Mazaro with two Z's, one R. Yes, two Z's, one R. That's right. That'll be very confusing. Rob's <laughs> at Rob Sesternino. I'm at Round Howard. Uh, we've got a ton of other stuff going on here on Post Show Recaps. Walking Dead is about to wrap up, Rob. Yeah, the big finale is coming up Sunday night. We did our feedback show earlier in the week. Of course, a uh, very, very exciting 90-minute episode, the finale of Season 6, coming up on Sunday. So that's coming up. We'll have a feedback show next week. We'll have the book club show next week as well. Better Call Saul still going on. Any idea of what's happening next week on Better Call Saul, Antonio? Anything in the preview that's giving you any hints of big things to come? Jimmy McGill is uh, continuing again. his... He's at it again. He's at it again, Josh. Morally ambiguous decisions will be made. Uh, some difficult uh, positions will be found by people. Uh, slipping yeah. Jimmy. Oh, just I don't even know. Can you even believe it? He's back, yeah. in, he's back in the wild. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so There'll be a lot of metaphors. A yeah, lot yeah. of metaphors. Colors will be used uh, for yeah. various narrative and thematic purposes. Josh, it's a, it's a regular clown show over at the Better Call Saul uh, AMC show, and it's great. We love indeed, it. Indeed. And Daredevil podcasts are still going on, but not for much longer. We only have three of those left. We only have three episodes of Daredevil to cover. Kevin Mahadeo and I have been covering every single episode of season two of the Marvel Netflix show. So cool. look out for that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Been really happy with Daredevil this season. I am knocking on wood that the final three do not disappoint. I know Antonio has seen them all. Antonio, no spoilers. No spoilers. That that podcast is the most violent podcast in TV history. There's so much violence on that Daredevil show. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on there. It's very, very gnarly. Um, next week, most shows recapped. I will be traveling, so I will be gone. But you guys, since I every time that I'm gone, you guys talk about American Crime Story. So you're just going to do that again. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I mean, Antonio is going to watch episodes two through ten now uh, an additional <laughs> 90 times. I've watched. I've, I, I will say, I mean, of, of two through ten, I've watched several of them. <laughs> Multiple times, but oh that first God. one I've watched at least 10 times. I just yeah. think that's a great episode of TV. I mean, I, the way that it's all put together, the breaking news kind of, I could go on and on about it, but yeah, it's going to be the finale this week, uh, coming up next Tuesday of, uh, of American Crime Story season one, the, the wrap up Exciting. of the OJ trial. So we're going to, we're going to cover everything we hadn't talked about since the last episode. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll give our kind of, uh, we'll take feedback about the series in general. So I'd love to hear what everyone thought as we've been watching along. Highly anticipated show. Check out The Path. It's on Hulu. First two episodes are up. New episodes are coming out every Wednesday night. Subscribe to what we're doing here on Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash iTunes for the general feed or PostShowRecaps.com slash MSR iTunes for just most shows recapped. And these guys will be back next week. I'll see you all in two weeks or I will be on other podcasts. You can find me there as well. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.